0: This is Bigger Questions, with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question. What gave a space engineer confidence to get a man on the moon? Now we can't get a live audience today, but we can ask some big questions via some remote interviewing technology. And we're asking today's big question to Ron Bledsoe. Ron is a retired NASA engineer who worked in the space industry for nearly 40 years. He worked on the Apollo and the shuttle program, and he's retired now but takes an active interest in the space program, and he joins me from Huntsville, Alabama, which is nicknamed the Rocket City. Ron, welcome to Bigger Questions.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. So, Ron, so Huntsville, it's the Rocket City. Why is it called that? Uh,
1: They named that because... During World War II, it was uh, that we actually built uh, ammunition for World War II. The eh? uh, mm-hmm. and so in 1950, our uh, they came of uh, Dr. von Braun and uh, 200 and some odd Germans came to us. They were scientists and engineers, and uh, they. Uh, renamed this because of Dr. Von Braun's uh, input and he was, as you know, a well-known scientist and a mm-hmm. outstanding uh, visionary and uh, he was sort of the leader that came in. Uh, in fact, my wife actually uh, came with that crew because her dad was a military and uh, mm-hmm. took care of all the supplies and everything for the Germans back in that day. Uh, first, it was uh, you know Redstone Arsenal, and then they renamed it to the Rocket City because of the of what we've actually done in Apollo and uh, sort of off with Apollo and uh, Huntsville is really, and I may be bragging, but uh, Huntsville is uh, loaded with engineers and scientists, and we've got companies all over that are now building in a couple of years, actually, it will be probably the uh, the highest number of people in the state. And so it's yeah. one as the city's concerned.
0: So, Ron, we asked the really big questions here on a Bigger Questions. So one of the, the big questions that we want to know is, you've obviously spent a long time in the space industry. So how realistic is Star Wars?
1: Uh, Star Wars and uh, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon was, you know, uh, long done before you probably came along, but but, uh, Star Wars uh, is realistic. Uh, Not really. It's science fiction, actually, but yeah. Uh, Dr. Von Braun worked with Walt Disney a lot in, uh, you know, developing a lot of that stuff as far as the moon is concerned, but a lot of the characteristics of star Wars is, uh, yet to be developed,
0: uh, <laughs> Right, for sure. So do you, so you mentioned Dr. Von Braun there. So did you ever work with him at all?
1: Yeah, we worked with him on problems. He, uh, I was just a young engineer when I came and, uh, and, Dr. von Braun, but I work for several of the Germans, and they're right. outstanding there that worked directly for von Braun. And but some of the people that I work with, uh, good friends, uh, work uh, directly, you know, work problems with with him, like on Apollo program. But I can get into that. Uh, but I, I don't want to get too technical. But uh, I can okay. I can snow you with a lot of technical things, Robert.
0: Sure, that's fine. Okay, well Ron, we'll kick off bigger questions. We usually like to ask a couple of smaller questions just to get everyone thinking. And today we're talking about space. So Ron, I thought I'd ask you just one smaller question about the propulsion systems of Star Wars. Okay. Now I don't know if you feel qualified at all to talk about the propulsion systems of Star Wars.
1: I'm I'm really not too qualified to just to be honest to, uh, about because uh, you know the propulsion system. I, I would, I am. I started off uh, in when I got out of the navy uh, in nineteen fifty-seven, working. Uh, in yeah. What I would say in propulsion, I've been in propulsion all my, all the time I was in there, until I, and until I became one of the directors, and that, uh, you know, I've covered every, all the fields in.
0: Okay, so you worked in propulsion, but maybe not necessarily on Star Wars propulsion. Anyway, there's one question. It's multiple choice, so we'll see how you go, okay? So, Ron, the TIE fighter were short-range starfighters in Star Wars, but what is TIE, T-I-E, an acronym for? Is it A, turbo inline engines, B, twin-ion engines, C, terribly inefficient engines, or D, Toyota Interstellar Engineering. So what are you going to go with there, Ron? <laughs> I would say,
1: uh, I, I would just guess, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it, what are you uh, going to guess? Just to be i be guessing. And, uh, uh, you know, from a propulsion standpoint, uh, probably, uh, you know, tight. I, I really don't know that much about uh, Star Wars, and I don't, sure. I don't really study <laughs> okay. that much.
0: So what are you going to guess then?
1: I'd, I'd say the number, the third thing that you mentioned.
0: The terribly inefficient engines? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the answer is actually the twin ion engines. Um, B was the actual oh, okay. answer. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. So do you think you could build TIE fighters at, at NASA?
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, we have engineers, in my opinion, that could build them, and uh, uh, they're quite there. I mean, but I really don't know... That much about what kind of propellants we're dealing with.
0: Sure, yeah, and, yeah.
1: Uh, if you got propellants, I could tell you whether you know how long it take, how long, much testing it would take to do that. And and uh, but I have uh, no clue, Robert.
0: <laughs> okay, sure. Run. You started working at NASA, uh, but just before the Apollo program started. So, what was it like? working in the space industry during the great space race?
1: When I came to NASA in October 1960, I came from working on uh, space engines with the Titan. That Titan actually supported the Gemini and the Mercury programs in the 50s. Yeah. Okay, and we had a Titan program. But as far as Apollo is concerned, Apollo really started in, in 1961. But mm-hmm. I worked on I immediately were working on the F one engine. The F one engine has been the most powerful engine that's ever been built. And yeah. in nineteen sixty I was assigned that particular engine. My feelings on uh, on starting that was as a young engineer I loved it, but I was hired primarily because I was had worked on space engines before and design and yeah. develop those and that i was excited about working that but also i was came back home that's where i, I was born and raised here in uh, right. alabama that's why i got excited but i've been excited for 40s you know all my life as far as space is concerned i'm still
0: excited. wow what excites you about space
1: uh well it is something that is unique that uh I feel like that God has given us an opportunity to to visualize outside the earth, but he actually gave us as engineers and scientists who are good friends, the ability to look out. The scientist actually looks out and says, Hey, we really need to look at that far as the stars and Mars and Jupiter all. And it's engineers that actually take and says, Hey, this is, this is how we'll get there, or this is what is needed to take and build something rocket uh, right. to get there, and yeah. so that was given to us. And and I loved working on one of the largest engines that the United States, in fact, the world has ever made. And so nobody has ever built anything like the F-1 engine.
0: Yeah. So that were these 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 were in the the Saturn V rockets, were they?
1: This is a Saturn V. Actually, Saturn V had uh, you know, three stages, yeah. And if you look at Marshall versus Houston, actually, Marshall Space Flight Center, Houston, and KF, KSC, we all of those people actually work for Dr. Von Braun initially, yeah. Dr. Davis went to KSC to head up the launching group, he had a launching group there, and then Houston took that group because of the uh, you know, Vice President Johnson under Kennedy, and he took that to uh, Houston. And uh, so that's where the astronauts and everybody, but we actually build a truck, if you know what I mean. In other words, the first, second, third stage, it actually has the power to get that out, outside the orbit, you know, Earth's orbit and head yeah. Moon. And that was our job
0: well you did your job pretty well cuz it it got there <laughs> yeah that's right that's right
1: that's
0: right so do you have a favorite memory of your time then working at the apollo program
1: i've always been a very positive individual i've always felt like that hey, you know the, that we can do anything and work and uh, the most exciting thing i think was probably when we landed on the moon oh gosh that was really exciting for the whole world i mean but yeah i never missed a launch right because we had a we had a crew here, which we call Huntsville Operations Support Center, that actually was the same as Cape Kennedy. All of the equipment and everything was the same. The only difference is I had a we had a crew that actually worked on the F1 engine, and the second stage engines, and the third stage engines, as well as the propulsion systems and structures. So that was our responsibility. But being in uh, direct contact with Cape, they're the ones that actually launched uh, and and pulled it, you know, because of the launch director in that.
0: Yeah. Well, this year marks the 51st anniversary since the Apollo 11 mission, the mission which landed Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. So do you remember where you were for the the launch of that Apollo 11 uh, mission?
1: Yeah, I was... That that launch was taken. I mean, it started at eight, uh, like eight thirty-two uh, in the morning. Yeah. We normally would go in and at between nine and ten at night because we actually loaded propellants, you know, starting around eleven or so. My role in that was actually with a team of guys that worked on the F one and interfaced with the S one C, the first stage. Okay. And that was my role, but uh, you know, when we took and the F1 engine, those five of those, you know, at seven and a half million pounds of thrust, lifted off six million pounds of, you know, uh, of hardware there. Going in at night, and I get excited about, you know, going in and watching. The only problem we have is between two and four in the morning. You know, it's hard to keep awake sometimes, but <laughs> we would actually work problems, uh, you know, what what if this happens on the engine, okay?
0: Yeah. So do you remember where you were when um, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon?
1: Yeah, I was. Or walked it, on the moon? Uh, we, at that time, I was at home, we were watching TV because it was around 10 o'clock at night. So to watch that, even though the bedtime for my youngest it was, uh, <laughs> was well past. Yeah, so, but we all watched it and, and were very excited about, uh, you know, landing on the land.
0: So, how did it feel then to be actually a part of that mission to, to put that man on the moon?
1: Well, I've always felt like, you know, that, uh, you know, you can almost do anything. But uh, that's the feeling that I had is because, hey, you know, there's a lot that goes in. Problems are concerned. We work problems. One problem in the F 1 engine took four to five years. And one of the biggest things is that when they come back, because see, whenever we launch some, you know, those astronauts, either on the shuttle or the Apollo programs, uh, when they get back is when you really feel very comfortable, because you always are concerned, but you've worked so many problems that your know, reliability is very high and, uh, mm. But we, we do it to protect those astronauts. You know, we do a lot, of, mm. a lot of that work.
0: So which Apollo mission then do you think was the most significant?
1: I would, uh, I would think the most significant was actually landing on the moon, but also the other significant thing was actually getting a little rover up there. Uh, mm-hmm. A good friend of mine I play golf with uh, was the chief engineer for the Lunar Rover, and uh, yeah, we all joke about you know getting up, getting it. But those were up their last three uh, there. But I, I, I would say that that is really significant to, to design a, uh, actually a car, so to speak, or a rover, and it and then watch the astronauts, you know.
0: Um, drive it around moon.
1: and I thought that was really great hmm.
0: the Saturn V rocket used in the Apollo program still remains the most powerful rocket even to this day, it's the most powerful machine humans have ever made so were you surprised by how powerful and strong it was
1: well uh, I was so excited in, in, in the 1965 we tested uh, five of those engines out here in our test stands, uh, and what we call the S1C state. And yeah. the you have to test that. We learned a lot that you don't test it with the weather and the clouds in a certain formation. You really have to work the acoustics. Because when we set that engine, those, all those engines with seven and a half million pounds of thrust, in where we lived, in a lot of places they broke windows in their house and a lot of people were not too pleased with uh with uh, us and so that was that was another trick but that was the acoustic engineers that really said hey you know we we really need to uh understand what the, our community is going through and we don't fire those that kind of rocket that was a very powerful
0: machine that's a that's an immensely powerful rocket, breaking windows yeah. <laughs> when you were just testing it. Yeah. So, what, can you describe then what it was like um, looking at the Saturn V on the launch pad?
1: You know, we always compared it to the, you know, as far as the Washington Monument. It was mm-hmm. three hundred sixty-three feet uh, high, and quite a, it was quite a sight to see, but. Uh, I guess uh, going in every night and every morning you know to look out at the cape and look at the TVs and see that rocket stand up there is just sort of uh, phenomenal. It's so like looking at a you know something is really designed, but you still concern yourself about is this thing going to work and thirteen missions there was we, we felt really good about. It.
0: So what was the most substantial technical challenge that you needed to overcome to get there?
1: It was the combustion instability on the F1 engine. Mm -hmm. And that was also up... That went all the way to President Kennedy, by the way, in working
0: that particular
1: problem. We worked with Princeton University. We worked with uh, Lewis Research Centre. We several centres and... It was a hard task because we did a lot of testing. But that's when you talk about failures. Failures, when you fail something, that doesn't mean the world's coming apart. That means that you're advancing to something better. And it gives you an opportunity to move forward.
0: So there was a lot of failure in that time before you could get something that worked. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, wow, yeah. Was that frustrating? Uh, It was at times frustrating, but... uh, When you're
1: younger, you say, you know, uh, I wonder if we can work it. So then you'd pick up the phone and your boss would say, hey, call so-and-so and and see, get him to start working that problem. But that's the frustration, you know, going back
0: Mm. uh, there. But you were obviously committed to, to reaching this goal of getting to the moon and um, overcame those frustrations, I suppose. But
1: one of the things, that he, you know, when when, that, when he said, let's go to the moon, you know, that uh, Kennedy talked about it at 62 was, you realize that almost six to seven years after that, they, we went to the moon, which is a phenomenal mm. task. And it was very amazing that uh, you just got to go on and accomplish a task. But, you know, you don't do that. Uh, a lot of times we didn't, you know, as far as working is concerned, uh, some of the times you didn't look back and say, well, you know, somebody else is involved in that. But I got excited because God was right there with us.
0: Mm. So your faith was very important for you in this in this journey. Yeah.
1: and it, I think it's very important. I Sometimes I wish that going back that I really depended on the good Lord a lot more than I do today. You know? mm. Mm.
0: That's you know? Interesting. Yeah.
1: Because, yeah. see, if you're younger, gosh, there's so much you can accomplish more than leaning on yourself, you know, as far as confidence is concerned. But uh, the good mm. Lord, you know, he's right there.
0: Mm after the, working for the Apollo program, you also worked on the Space Shuttle program. Yeah. Now, the Challenger disaster of 1986, when Space Shuttle Challenger broke up 73 seconds into flight, now that must have been a particularly dark day for NASA. You were actually in the control room when it happened. The control I think, right? room
1: when it happened.
0: Yeah. So, what, what was the, what, what describe the mood when that when that happened? I mean, it's obviously a massive disaster.
1: When most people would have sit you know they were sit down and cry and everything we were conditioned when a problem occurred robert we actually took and automatically pulled data it really was devastating
0: yeah yeah so it was a, it was a it was a difficult space in that in that control yeah, room
1: yeah and see this was in uh january 1986 the press was outside and they said don't Talk to the press. We were locked up uh security-wise. You had to go through, you know, a lot of times for security today you have a card which you wrap through one time. We had to, if you can imagine, we went through three security doors to get where we were working. Yeah. And we were actually working data in that, and we actually worked it in 72 hours without any sleep. Even if you're young, that's that's really tough.
0: That's, that's hard. That's,
1: you get tired.
0: Yeah, that's understandable. Um, yeah, so there must have been difficult times at NASA. Yeah, it was.
1: A very very difficult time. It really hurt.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously to lose that any anyone, especially any
1: you know, we're designed to take and keep those astronauts, and Lord have mercy, it was awful.
0: Now, Ron, you are a Christian believer and there is a part of the Bible which is important for you. It's from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, yeah. uh, Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, which says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Yeah. So, ron it says here that the lord gives strength and power so did he do that to you when through these challenging times particularly when it comes to the challenger disaster
1: well during this uh challenger uh that it did and it really helped but it changed uh the way i looked at stuff and that's where the confidence Mm -hmm. comes in and i didn't really a lot of times i felt like i had the confidence i could do anything myself but uh what i found about that verse strengthened me as far as giving me the confidence. It was really not my confidence, myself. It was God's confidence. And if people Mm -hmm. could, you know, I often look at that verse and say, if young people could realize that when they strike out, if they could go forward and say, you uh, you know, I can do that you know, working that, or I can't fail. Them. But if they'd realize that God is right there, it's sort of exciting to see good young people pick that up and work it.
0: Mm. So maybe so just in reflecting then, so your Christian faith then gave you confidence perhaps before maybe even the Challenger disaster, you had a bit more confidence in yourself, but then you realized actually it's worthwhile trusting in the Lord and he gives you more confidence and strength. Would that be yeah. fair?
1: That's that's right. That's
0: right.
1: Mm. I get excited to wake up in the morning, and, you know, I think it's great being 87 years old. I think, hey, you know, what, what is the good Lord going to do today?
0: Well, the passage in Isaiah goes on to say, even youths grow weary and tired, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So is there something about the image of soaring on wings that, like eagles, that inspires a NASA engineer?
1: Yeah, it does, and, and uh, uh, it really does.
0: Yeah. So are wings, like eagles, more inspiring than a Saturn V rocket, do you think? Uh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying something That's from a NASA engineer, NASA engineer NASA I think, isn't engineer,
1: it? I, I think so, uh, very much so. But God was doing all of, you know, lifting me up, you know, as far as my faith is concerned. I just have always had faith in him that, uh, hey, uh, you know, you you don't say, well, I wonder what we're going to do about this problem. You would say, I wonder how God is going to work this problem.
0: Yeah. So the Christian faith has obviously given you strength at times, but what convinced you that it was for you? Like what convinced you to follow the Christian faith in the first place?
1: I guess, uh, you know, living in a... I don't know. I I grew up with parents that uh, loved the Lord, and uh, I guess uh, you know all my and growing up that way, I was uh, I was very shy about what I was doing, and uh, my faith uh, strengthened me as far as my you know how I felt about things and it being shy and. Yeah. But the shyness also kept me, me, uh, I think, kept me intact, but I didn't realize the good Lord was really keeping me intact.
0: Mm, mm. The space program was a challenge to the faith of some, though, like particularly William Anders, who read the first chapter of Genesis on board Apollo 8. Uh, He admitted that his faith was somewhat undercut as he looked back on the tiny Earth. So, then, did your work in the space program strengthen or diminish your faith?
1: I, I felt like it. I grew stronger working in the space yeah. program.
0: Yeah? In, in what ways? And I, I
1: just I just uh, I felt like accomplishing things and seeing what is out there and designing things to make it work. Uh, gosh, it's just uh, very challenging, I think. You know, I think a lot of the stuff can be done, but only yeah. if God plans on us working that problem, in my opinion.
0: Mm. So, what gave a space engineer confidence to get a man on the moon?
1: Uh, the only way I know that he got his confidence is God Himself, and yeah. uh, knowing God that's the way we got to the moon is knowing God, no other way. Mm.
0: Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, what gave a space engineer confidence to get a man on the moon? From Isaiah 40, 28, 29. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Ron Bledsoe.
1: All right, Thank you.
0: Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash Questions.